Draft Deeper podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my co-host, Cole Miller, and my producer, Kevin Black. Now, Cole, uh, we have gone through the top 10s of our 2021 NBA Draft big boards up to this point. We're ready to knock out 11 through 15. Um, the, the good news is, is from 1 to 15, as the audience is going to learn, we pretty much have the same 15 guys just in a different order. I don't know. Do you, do you think that these 15 prospects are pretty much solidifying themselves away from what you would consider like the second half of this first round? Or do you still think by the evaluations we've done up to this point that some of these guys have left enough cracks in their games um, and their cases that they could even move out for somebody else to come in? No, I think there's definitely still some movement uh, up and down all over the lottery and the first round for that matter. I don't, I don't think the dust has settled at all. Um, we have plenty of season left and plenty of information to learn about all these guys. And um, yeah, I don't think we've seen the last of from, from a few other guys that we like, like Marcus Bagley, we've seen uh, start to play better again with some more uh, consistent health. And there's going to be some other guys that pop up as there always is towards the towards draft. So that's Marcus, the best part of Marcus that. Bagley being number 12 and Jeremy Wu's latest mock draft which i found to be interesting as i'm sure you did because jeremy while he is one of the better media scout evaluators that we have takes into account when he's doing big boards and when he's doing mock drafts he operates just like jonathan wasterman and chad ford they use a lot of um, nba intel when they're putting those things together so having bagley at at number 12 certainly what was an eye-opener and we we've already shared some thoughts about marcus bagley um in, in talking about uh, Josh Christopher, and I'm sure that we'll get to Bagley at some point here as we're going through our, our top 30s on our big boards. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely some guys that I feel have a chance to sneak up in that top 15, knock somebody out, um, especially one guy. I'm, I'm staring right at his name that we're definitely going to be talking about um, next week, who's been incredibly exciting for, for Auburn, Sharif Cooper, um, who's who's quietly becoming one of our favorite prospects, Cole. I'm sure that there are going to be some discussion points, and I already know of a few people that I've seen on social media have absolutely sung his praises and have him even as high as like a top 10 prospect after only playing three games so far. So um, the, the, this conversation is, as you said, it's free-flowing. Um, it's ever-changing. I really don't think big boards are going to lock up until um, after March Madness once we start getting into that true pre-draft process. Um, and, and that's going to be interesting. I, I can't wait to see what happens with the pre-draft process, Cole, because we've already seen the NFL put out memos that in-person combines and in-person workouts um, for the upcoming NFL draft likely aren't going to be a thing, at least at this point in time. So I'm really curious to see what happens on the NBA side. Um, now, Now they ended up towards the very end of the draft process last year having very limited in-person workouts, but there was no major real in-person combine like we've been used to for years. Um, Everything obviously got canceled that would have normally happened in a regular draft period, like the Portsmouth Invitational and and any of those other kind of in-person tournaments that happen around uh, the the country. So I'm going to be really curious. What are your thoughts on, on, on some of that, Cole, as to how that might impact us down the road? Because that's a pretty recent story about what happened with the NFL. Right. Well, I mean, if, obviously, if we don't get those experiences and those data points, then it's uh, we get to miss out like we did last year, and we just have to make better judgments off what we do know. And, um, you know, that's really what it comes down to, I think, 
Uh, I really hope we do get those tournaments. It's having been able to go to Portsmouth a few times. It's a great time, and it's a, a chance for college seniors to really give themselves a shot at the draft that they might not have had otherwise. So really do hope we get those events back. Yeah, and it's Intel sharing as well. Um, and, and yeah, I, I agree. I, I always look forward to, to things like that, getting to learn more about these prospects. But yeah, if we don't have those periods and, and, and events where we get to evaluate players in a different context, then it makes podcasts like this so much more valuable and, and, and things that we're going to have to be able to look back on because we're going to have to have these evaluations right a lot sooner than normal because we're only going to have so much limited film to go off of at this point. If this is pretty much halfway to three quarters of the way through all of the tools that we're going to have to evaluate these prospects with, then that means that we really have to sit down and, and do our homework now so that we have the right things to be able to reflect on down the road. But with, without further ado, let's jump into it. So um, number 11 on my big board, I have Greg Brown, the Texas forward. Um, now you have a guy at number 11 who I had in my previous rankings last week, um, Jalen Johnson, who Cole, you and I were going back and forth texting um, last night. He was, if, if anybody out there listening, we're recording this on Wednesday, January 20th. Last night they played Pitt. Um, certainly Jalen Johnson had the best game I think he's probably going to have in college. I'm not sure he can put together a better performance than what he did last night, quite literally dragging that Duke team back from the dead and giving them a chance to win that game that he fouled out very late in that game. It would have been very interesting to see what would have happened if he would have been able to stay in that game. Um, towards the end, it was, it was down to like three, four point swing that maybe he could have taken part in as well um, and, and helped Duke possibly tie the game, maybe force an overtime. But Cole, we'll, we'll, we'll start with your thoughts on Jalen Johnson since I pretty much gave my piece last week on what I think about him. What, what did you see from Jalen Johnson last night that really stood out to you? And even going back and looking at a few things before last night, um, before he got injured, he suffered that foot injury. Um, what, what, what stands out to you about Jalen Johnson in general? Why you think that not only is he number 11 here on your board now, but you, you mentioned to me last night, you think he has a chance to rise up kind of where, where, where I had him um, in my big board. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think my take last week was mostly centered around the fact that I just needed to see him do it against a different opponent other than Coppin State. And man, did he deliver against Pittsburgh last night. Uh, last night, he showed that he could take over the game on both sides of the ball for stretches at a time, which is really impressive for a kid who's played five or six college games altogether. Um, so I think what stands out to him or stands out for him is uh, the obvious ball skills at his size um, and the way he can move with the ball in his hands is just kind of, uh, we don't see it very often. So it's definitely intriguing um, to see that package of skills. He's got open court vision. Uh, I do worry about his half court ability to create on offense. Um, you know, I'm happy to discuss that with you a little bit further, but I just think in general for him, it's, it's just a rare package of skill, size, and effort level that we just don't get very often. And honestly, if we were doing, if this game was last week before our podcast, I'd definitely have him probably in my top 10. Um, I just want to see it again. I think the, the big question for him is consistency. Um, and I'll let you take the floor on, on whether you think that's what he needs to work on the most from here on out. No, I, I kind of agree regarding your point about playmaking in the half court. Uh, when I first talked about him, um, on the very first episode of kind of kicking off this 2021 draft season, I mentioned, and I even mentioned it last week, that 
pretty much everything I've seen him do up to this point, up up till the game last night, I thought was a pure natural talent, right? I, I think on both ends of the floor, he's still really trying to figure a lot out just in terms of feel, awareness, how he asserts himself, what, what does his presence look like on both ends at, at different points throughout the game. But you saw every single thing come together last night and his half court playmaking was one of the things that definitely jumped to me because th that was really the first time I've seen him in this early stretch of games for him in his college career that he looked like the point forward that he was maybe billed as coming out of high school a reason why if you had to have me put together like a preseason top five he was absolutely making that top five for me because I really thought that going back and watching some of his high school stuff, his feel for the game at that level, being able to probe and kind of get to wherever he wanted in the half court offensively, but also make everyone around him better and kind of hit some of those timely passes that you saw him make last night. Like last night, he wasn't rattled by ball pressure. He wasn't rattled by double teams. Now I'll give you that a few of those looks and you and I even went back and forth on it a little bit. Some of those looks were just because the pit defense, like like some of their defenders were just rotating at, at awful times. Um, and, and, and I'll give you that one. But you still have to make the pass, right? Like, like there are guys who won't even see that there's a pass to be made off of a bad rotation, and they'll get caught in the double or triple team, whatever the case may be, and they'll just call off the ball up with their back to the basket that wasn't Jalen Johnson last night and that to me was an incredibly encouraging part about his game the other thing was that him and Justin Champagne who we're definitely going to talk about at some point on this podcast for Pitt um, two guys who you, you can absolutely raise questions about their jump shots whether it be from like 15 to 17 feet out whether it be behind the three-point line um, how much of gunners are they really but they were trading jump shots last night and that was another encouraging part about Jalen Johnson's game because that's been one of the biggest question marks uh, about him, period. Now, uh, in evaluating him and, and getting probably the best look last night that I have at his jump shot just because of the volume he was actually taking outside shots at, it seems to me like his jump shot really isn't that far off from, from being a very consistent thing for him. I think if he just raises that release point up a little bit on his shot, gets that ball to come off his fingertips a lot better versus palming it, um, on his follow through, I, I think from from what I saw last night, everything about his base, the way he squares himself up to the basket, I, I love the lower body mechanics about his jump shot. Cole, what what do you what did you see from his jumper last night? What what maybe in your mind do you think needs to be corrected about it for it to be more of a consistent thing for him, or do you think there's not as mechanically wrong as maybe I'm pointing out? And do you think maybe it, it, it's more of a, a mental thing or just like a confidence repetition thing? I think it's some a bit of what you pointed out and also a repetition thing and, and mainly repetition because even from the first couple of games when he was healthy before the injury, I would say that the jumper looked a little bit more smooth last night than versus those games. So I think that hints at the natural talent level that this kid has that you're speaking to. And I think you drop him in the NBA, he can do so much on the court as we saw last night and as his stat line will back up. I mean, he's averaging 12 a game, which is going to come up uh, at the college level for sure. But eight rebounds, two and a half assists and, and 3.0 uh, stocks a game is really impressive. So that, that tells you he really does show up in every facet of the game right now. Um, I think the jumper will come with repetition. And I think we're going to see him develop into this, you know, forward when he's on that he's just going to affect the game in, in a number of ways. And that, 
when he's not completely on. Like, I don't know, but that remains to be seen. But we have to see him keep playing against the best of the best in the ACC. Um, I think the next thing for me to really dig in on him is that it's really interesting to see that his synergy defense ranks out as poor. I mean, we see him make the highlight reel block uh, and, you know, he makes other help plays altering shots, you know, frequently. So I'm pretty surprised at that rating. I really need to dig in and see what that's about. Do you have anything that stands out to you? Well, so, some of those numbers, for better or worse, they do take into account team performance, right? Like that Duke right. team as a whole it, it is not good defensively. Quite frankly, Jalen Johnson is their best defense. He, he's their best prospect and, and, and player right now regardless, but he's certainly their best defensive player. Uh, I, I really don't like any of those other guys on offense. He, he doesn't have another big man to really lean into to, to help him protect the rim. There, there's a reason why you're seeing him close out on some of those shots and get the blocks that he is. It's because I think he knows that that's his, that has to be his role on defense. Like right. Matthew Hurd ain't going to do anything <laughs> about that. He is, yeah. he, he's one of the poorest defensive prospects. I think I've seen at Duke at, at his size. Like, like I, I don't think that's pure hyperbole. I think that's, that's a legitimate point that I have to take into consideration when the guy, the next guy over that's the closest to you in size can't help you protect the rim or really help you much at all on defense. Then you're talking about, well, who are the guards you have in front of you? And then you're talking about uh, Wendell Moore obviously has a little bit of experience being a sophomore, but, but Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart, two freshmen who at times they've looked like they fit, but more often than not, they've looked like they're a little young for the game too. So I'm not quite sure what, any of those perimeter guys give you defensively. And then at that point, you're, you're talking about Goldwire, who that is his calling card, is defense. But offensively, he gives you like close to nothing. So how often can Coach K really have him on the floor? Or how often can Coach K afford to have him on the floor if he's giving you nothing on offense, at which point you have to go to some of those other guys that I talked about. Um, and obviously, as I mentioned, their defense is a mixed bag. So um, that, that definitely plays into how he's rating out on total defense, on synergy. But yeah, when, when he gets the chance to make a play, um, his, his defensive playmaking. Miss. No, he, he doesn't. And his, his defensive playmaking, I, I think I mentioned this with you um, already, Cole, in a previous pod, reminds me a lot of what Zion did when he was a dip, right. just always being a ball hawk defender, constantly going after a play. Maybe not the 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 surest guy playing like in in a zone concept, or if he's in like a man scheme, like like maybe somebody's like backdoor cutting him. He's not always the most aware. And and again, I already pointed that out as a weakness that that his overall awareness just needs to come up. But that that didn't look as much of a problem last night. And I think going forward, if it proves true, and, and I'd love to hear him talk about some of this too. I feel like during his injury, he might have been on the sidelines actually heavily studying a lot of film. At least that that seemed apparent to me last night because he didn't look nearly as lost at times as he did in some of those earlier games. He seemed always in control. He seemed confident of himself. And if this is the Jalen Johnson that we're going to get um, for, for the next part of the year, I mean, I, I, we, we you and I both think that that top five seems pretty solidified, but I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that Jalen Johnson can't end up cracking a top five, at least for me, when, when all is said and done because he, he is – that talented no i think he's one of the few guys outside of my five or six right now that could easily break into that five or six with a couple more performances like that um and you said it 
a little bit just a moment ago. His team is a bunch of misfit parts. They really none of them can really contribute consistently on either end of the floor. So you factor you have to factor that in for him. He really is carrying the load here um, on both sides of the ball, and he's doing it well. At least he did it well last night. And if that continues, then yeah, he's going to be very much talked about going forward. Yeah, he is. And he and again, that performance came against a really good pit team in the ACC like that team is no joke Capel has them in in probably the best place that they've been in since some of those Jamie Dixon teams that I absolutely love to watch so that pit program is up and coming yep definitely so moving on past Jalen Johnson um like I said my 11th prospect is Greg Brown you have him at number 12 so this is a good time to talk about him um again what what stands out to me is how much we're already seeing him improve during this season, particularly on defense. Um, now, w- what would have happened earlier in the season was Greg Bound was was getting lost on some defensive possessions. When he had to guard somebody one-on-one, he was falling for pretty much every fake, um, certainly getting in a lot of foul trouble. Now, when you look at him, he's not biting for a lot of pump fakes anymore. He's holding his ground in the post which is in turn leading for his block numbers to, to come up because that, that 2.0 um, steals and blocks per game, that combined number that I like to use, um, that definitely needs to come up, but it is trending in the right direction um, over his last couple of games. Um, his player efficiency rating overall is now sitting at a 21. That's absolutely improving. Um, you and I both liked uh, uh, earlier in the season about how even – though he wasn't always as involved offensively as he could have been. He was still giving effort on defense, but also particularly giving effort on the boards. Um, average sitting at eight rebounds a game right now. That to me is a huge bright spot for him as well. Um, 19.8 total rebound percentage for his team. Basically every one out of five boards that's available for him to get, whether that's offensive or defensive, he's the one grabbing it, despite some of those other big men that they have on the team, like a Jericho Sims, like a Kai Jones, some of those other experienced guards that they have, like a Courtney Ramey, Matt Coleman, Andrew Jones. They certainly like to to go up and and rebound the ball, especially on the defensive boards, and then be able to push the pace out in transition. So it's not like he's the only guy on the team that can grab a rebound or likes to grab a rebound. That is a tough physical team, um, and, and he's asserting himself in the best way possible on that end. Um, so, so really for me, having him where I do, it's all about how much better is he going to keep getting as this season goes on. Um, and, and a lot of that comes from just figuring out where to better take his shots, where to better operate within the offense, leaning more into like a pick and roll game and, and getting more opportunities around the basket versus purely just standing in the corner and trying to bomb away as many threes as possible. Even though some of those threes are starting to fall for him at a much more consistent rate, he, he rates out very good on jump shots overall. Um, so some of the game is coming together and I'm even hearing his name more and more in, in top 10 conversations. So people are definitely catching on to how much he is improving Cole you, you, I know that you've been watching him from start all the way up until about this like midpoint, two-thirds of the way through the season. What are some of the things that you've seen him improve upon up to this point, Cole? Uh, what was your evaluation on him from start, and, and where where is he at in your mind now, and why is he number 12 on your board? Yeah, I think you said it a little bit with just the fact that he's getting so much better at reading the game and picking his spots and just understanding where he works within this offense. 
um, and you know what his role is right now on this Texas team that's going to make a deep run in the postseason. Um, so I think that's probably actually the best development for him uh, in reality because this Texas team is so stacked and the, and you know defined from a role standpoint. We're not. It's, it'd be silly to expect Greg Brown to get a ton of opportunity in the games to show off you know skill development, taking the ball uh, or taking his defender off the bounce and trying to show us what he has in his bag. That's just not what this Texas team is going to allow him to do. So the fact that he's settling into his role, to me, is a great sign for his development long-term. Um, I think what I like most about Greg Brown is that he's got a sneaky awesome floor. The dude is a, an elite physical specimen. He's got elite effort and hustle. I think his confidence is through the roof, and he's got a desire to learn. So you can't you can't throw those things out the window at, at all, especially given that he's a 6'9 freak of an athlete. Uh, that usually doesn't those things usually don't combine it's usually you know you're athletic as heck or or your the other things they don't usually go in the same basket so i think you're really working with the dangerous uh recipe there and the sky could be the limit for greg brown so for me i just want to keep seeing him uh assimilate in his role just become even more efficient in it take over a game here and there when no one's expecting him and maybe when his team needs it i think those are the things we can look for forward to for greg brown for the rest of the way um I'm excited for Greg Brown. I definitely think he could work his way into the top 10. I think the one issue I have offensively that I haven't heard a ton of talk about is like his lack of assists. And I'd be interested to hear what you think about that. I kind of think it's mostly because of his role in the offense as being a, a finisher and a glass cleaner and just kind of getting, you know, a three point shot here and there. Well, he's certainly not going to be a playmaker right now because of where his awareness and understanding for the game overall is at. Uh, we talked about coming into this season, he was going to be a project on both ends of the floor. And, and when I said that, I meant that quite literally, because that has absolutely bared to be the case. Um, he, he's 0.1 assists per game. Now, I, I don't know about you, Cole. I, I'm definitely not a college-level athlete, but I feel like if you and I got out in the basketball court, I feel like there, there's a chance just given what we know about how to play the game, we might be able to average more than 0.1 assists per game on, on a floor right now. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But um, I, I'm not necessarily as concerned about that as you might be or other people might be, only because I think the focus coming into this year had to be make sure, if you're Greg Brown, make sure that you understand how to play the game and affect the game just being the best version of yourself. And then when you feel like you've gotten to a point where you know how to pick your spots and you know how to operate within the flow of an offense and be a defensive threat to the point where you're not hindrancing your team at all from a personal perspective, then you can start to focus on some of those other playmaking aspects of your game. And I don't really think that's going to see something uh, be something we see from Greg Brown until probably like year two, three, four somewhere along those lines in, in the NBA. I don't, really, I don't even think an NBA team was drafting him next year. If he like cracks a rotation and he's getting some legitimate minutes, I don't even think that they're going to ask him to, to be involved in, in doing anything like that. They're going to put him in some of the simplest play types possible. It's going to be some pick and roll stuff. It's going to be some corner threes. It's going to be incredibly basic concepts to get him up to speed, get him more comfortable with the flow and pace of an NBA game as opposed to a college game. And from there, then they'll start to expand on some of those other things. I don't know what your thoughts are about uh, my take on that, Cole. No, I think it's going to be a, a semi-slow burn for Greg Brown in the NBA. But that's 
the benefit of him going to the league with the collection of stuff he already has to work with in terms of the intangibles, like hustle, confidence, desire to learn. He gets to be a professional basketball player and spend all day working on all the other things. So I think with his level of athleticism and, you know, his will, I think he will get the most out of everything he has uh, in him. And I think, you know, that's why people are starting to talk more about him in the top 10 as he shows off that he can master the role he's in right now for Texas. Do you think he's going to be a rotation player next year in the NBA, or do you think that he's going to be a guy who uh, plays more games in the G League than the NBA? So I think it it will depend on how the two-way – or not the two-way. It depends on how the G League uh, structure continues to evolve with roster size and all that. Mm-hmm. But I think I think depends on the team, of course. That's another cop-out answer. I think he does crack the rotation for a good bit because he can rebound so freaking well. and. He, as long as he stays out of foul trouble, and that's going to be the big thing, I think, in year one as to whether or not he stays on the floor enough. Um, yeah, I think his defense and his rebounding ability and then you know his threat as a lob and rim runner in the early going is probably enough to keep him on the floor, at least for a bench unit. Yeah, I, th- I think at least at this point with what we're seeing from him, I think that conversation becomes a lot more geared towards what he will end up doing in an NBA rotation versus spending more time in the G League. I think if the Greg Bound that we were going to get all year was the one we saw in those like first couple games of the season and like through Texas's Maui Invitational run, then I think we'd be talking about like a guy who you probably have to take him early because of other teams' interests and the potential they're going to see in him. But he is a pure like a G League type prospect um, going into year one in his professional career. So I think that he he's definitely trending in the right direction. And I'm happy to see it because he was one of my favorite prospects coming into this year. And and like I said, I knew he was going to be a project, but as long as you come in, put your head down, work hard, improve at the things you know you can improve at and just make a case for yourself being able to say, Hey, here's what I can do in the league from day one. Here's how I can earn myself minutes in a rotation that that's all you can do. Right. And, and he's clearly committed to doing that. So, Hats off to Greg Brown. Um, I wish nothing but the best for that kid, and I think he's he's truly a special prospect in the waiting. In terms of a ceiling for him, Cole, what do you think his ceiling is, and what might be a, a comparison for him? Because I think I think the ceiling for him, and, and kind of what I think he's ultimately geared toward, would be like what Christian Woods doing right now, what he did for the Pistons last year, and what he's doing for the Houston Rockets. That that type of player. What what do you think? his ceiling is and maybe what what's like a comp in your mind for him i think christian was an interesting one i'm not sure if he'll ever have the really like the rebounding go and and you know lead a fast break type ability and create for others that is on the fast break i think he'll just be like kind of a one-man fast break mostly long term but uh, i i definitely see like the jeremy grant tree in him um especially before this year jeremy grant like what, what we're talking about uh Brown's floor being is kind of what we thought of we, what we thought Jeremy Grant to be until this year. So I definitely think um, that's a realistic outlook. And then, of course, he might even be a better athlete than Jeremy Grant, which is saying something. And uh, so we'll just have to see. I think there's any number of roads he could take. I agree. I, I agree with having more conservative comps for him. I just think that the Christian Wood conversation is something that we could start having if everything breaks right for for Greg Brown but I agree I don't really see him being this more wing dominant player I don't see him being this this takeover threat 
with the ball in his hands and his playmaking threat. I think some of that stuff's going to come in time to the point where um, he's going to be able to see some of those plays to make, particularly in transition, as you mentioned, but that's going to be a long-term developmental type thing. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what, what is for, for Greg Brown moving forward. Um, now the next guy on my board is somebody who you gushed about last week, someone who you've been gushing about. That's, Corey Kispert. We don't necessarily need to do a lot of talking about Corey Kispert, but one thing that I find incredibly notable um, and why he's at number 12 for me and why he could possibly even go higher, as you and I talked about last week, he is in the 100th percentile in total <laughs> offense. Like, I, I, what, what was he at when we first brought out the synergy stats for him? Was he like 98, 99? Yeah, I, think I think somewhere in that realm. Yeah. The fact that he is... Like, like you can't do any, you can't play any better than he's playing on offense. He's excellent in everything except for handoffs, cuts, and roll man actions, which we could all kind of point to just watching the film and knowing the kind of player that he is. We, we could probably guess that um, he wasn't going to be quote unquote excellent in those categories. The other thing that interests me is his, his shooting splits in terms of the types of shots he's taking per game. Everybody sees him as like this three point gunner this exclusive three-point option in the NBA. He's taking as many twos per game, or almost as many as he is three. 6.4 three-point attempts per game, 6.2 two-point attempts per game. So probably more than ever, he's he's mixed up his game, and we've talked about that as being a growth point for him and something that he had to come back and definitely show to be a higher draft pick in the NBA was balance some of the three-point and the two-point scoring, being able to attack a closeout, finish on a line drive, uh, move to the basket. So that stands out to me. And also, we, we did just mention for, for Jalen Johnson that some of those defensive ratings and synergy do take into account team performance. He has some good defensive players around him, but he's very good in, in, in total defense overall, according to synergy. So that at least tells me that while he might not be this elite defensive prospect coming out, he's not hurting his team on that end of the floor, right? Like you could probably point to that coming into the season. Like if you had to look at Corey Kispert's weaknesses, it would be um, scoring and creating for himself inside the arc. And then he's not going to be like this lockdown defender, but he's at least buying in the team concepts and he's not hurting his team. Um, so those are the things that stand out for me and, and definitely give him a lottery case. Anything else you want to add on the Kispert argument, Cole? I know that you, you've talked about him a lot. Yeah. And he's not going to be a, a a great defender by any stretch, but the impact he gives you on the offensive end is the pressure he'll put on the opposing team defense, I think just far outweighs, you know, even him just being an average defender at the next level. Um, I was just casually watching some highlights of him from the, a couple of recent games between this podcast and the last one. And yeah, man, he, he has gotten so much better with some of the dribble stuff. It's, it's incredible. So if, if anybody's sleeping on him as just a three point shooter at this point, they're, they're kind of sleeping on him. He's not just a three-point shooter at this point. So, yeah, I, I think Kispert deserves a hard look in the top 10. I, I think he does everything you want in an NBA offense. 74% true shooting. I mean, my God. The, the, have, we, the, have we ever evaluated somebody this high that's in the 100th percentile? This, this prolific on offense, I, 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 can't, I can't think of anybody. Um, yeah. and, and I understand the type of team that he's playing on this Gonzaga team is the best college team I've ever seen. Um, a few people who I've gone back and forth with on Twitter um, want to mention some of those Kentucky teams. No, th this team outclasses those, those Kentucky teams for, for what 
maybe they don't do defensively. Like, for example, if you would have asked me who was the best college team that I've seen before this Gonzaga team, it would probably be Anthony Davis's Kentucky team just because mm-hmm. of what they did on defense, even though that that 14-15 team was deeper just in terms of the number of players that they had who could put the ball in the basket. Having Anthony Davis as a rim protector, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is like your, your wing-slash-help defender. What they did, what that team meant defensively, no, nobody got close to, to running them out of the building. But now you look at this Gonzaga team, it's like the exact opposite on the under end of the spectrum. Like nobody is getting close to outscoring them. Like right. they're they're putting up like ninety something points per game as a team in the NCAA. Like they we're talking about like NBA level averages on offense with some of the numbers that these guys are putting up overall, which makes sense because you and I see enough NBA prospects on the team as a whole. But but still, I I, I don't care, man. Like Kispert's, <laughs> we we've never seen something like this in terms of efficiency. No, exactly. Like this this Gonzaga team is close to NBA ready as it gets for college and. He's going to the NBA, so why would you expect any kind of drop-off in terms of what he's able to give you? I wouldn't. No, I, I agree completely. So we, I, I think we can, we can close the book talking about Kispert um, for, for a little bit here. He, we, we've gushed about him enough. He's solidified his case for us. Um, I, I think the, the only thing that, that can change for me at this point is if I would move him up, but he's certainly, he's certainly not moving down. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Um, now moving on to 13, um, I have James Booknight at 13, who you had in, in your section of the board last week. And at 13, you have, uh, Zaire Williams. So why don't we start with Zaire? Um, I, I've talked about him a decent bit on my end, Cole, being able to, to go a little bit deeper into his evaluation this week, aside from some of the numbers, that we pointed out last week, which certainly don't put him in a good light. What are some of the things you've picked up with um, on the tape as you evaluated him further? And, and what more do you want to see from him the second half of the year besides sort of what we talked about last week in, in terms of maybe the position that he ends up playing, like other than seeing him maybe get more, more reps and opportunities at like a guard spot versus a forward spot. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to see him figure out how to finish at the rim somehow. I, I just, it, I think that's the biggest piece of missing from his offensive game. Cause he's a sweet jump shooter. We all see that. Uh, even though he takes some really tough jump shots at the time. Um, but the one thing I can't get past with him and why he's kind of here in my lottery and honestly might trend down if the numbers don't come up um, is that I think everything about his game is really high risk. Even though the fact that he's a sweet jump shooter, he's taking these crazy step backs when he doesn't really need to. Uh, early in the clock or just like you know he's not even trying to beat his defender with anything else I don't think that's like the best way to build your offensive package like that shouldn't be your foundation is step back jumpers so that concerns me a bit and then when I do see him try and get to the rim I don't think he's great finishing around the trees at all struggles with contact due to his body um, being a little bit slight of frame he's already had the injury this year so I I worry about his ability to finish around the rim long term and if he's just a, a you know a finesse finisher in the lane and a jump shooter then yeah he really needs to be you know some kind of intriguing guard prospect rather than a wing that finishes at the rim uh, or you know that can finish at the rim so I think I want to see him keep working on that take better shots make better decisions with the ball in his hands when he's trying to set up his teammates again that I think some of the high-risk stuff spills over into that I see him make some really tough passes that he doesn't need to 
uh, when he's got an open shooter to his left or right. So I don't know. I, I think uh, I, I'm still firmly or not firmly, but I'm still kind of in the camp where I think the idea of Zaire is really, really nice. And I'm not sure we're really that close to it. And that's what holds me up on him. Uh, so I know he's had a couple of better games since then. His numbers are starting to slightly trend up in conference play, but the Pac-12 again, isn't that strong. So it's kind of concerning. They're mm-hmm. not trending up sooner or quicker. Um, have you caught him since we've last talked and seen anything that you thought, you know, stood out that he was on the right path to improving? I, I haven't personally seen anything different. No. Um, I, I think that the case I have for him is still the same. If he's going to end up being a, an oversized guard who shows better decision-making and a better balance of playmaking versus being able to score inside the arc, as well as some of those three pointers that we, that we know that he can and will knock down with confidence it's all going to be about balance for him, which is ironic because I know he's a smart kid. I know he's a good kid. I know he's a hard worker. Um, but some of the concerns I had with him coming out of high school that, that maybe a few people started to talk me out of, especially during those first few games um, for, for Stanford during that Maui Invitational run where it looked like he put a lot of those concerns that I had behind him just in terms of his decision-making his willingness to literally take almost any shot that he looks at those concerns have, have reared their ugly heads um, in like the worst possible way. And, and you can tell his shooting numbers haven't gotten any better um, since we went over some of those stats last week. So yeah, the, 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 a lot of those concerns for him are still there. I guess the question that, that I'll ask you, Cole is like three years down the line when we know that he's been working with an NBA training staff he will have spent enough time in an NBA weight room. He'll be on a better diet and 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 conditioning and, and strength program. How much better do you think he'll get just purely off of just adding something to, to his slate frame? Like literally anything. Because that to me is like, that. that's the biggest thing holding him back from scoring inside the arc is that if you put him up against contact, like he's not finishing through anybody right now. Like, like pretty much anything he gets at the rim has to be on like an open layup, like, like the, the defense part of like the Red Sea, or he's getting something like easy in transition. Yeah, uh, I think adding weight will help him immensely. I think, you know, there's a lot to be said through just physical confidence in terms of being able to execute your game on the floor. I just don't ever see him really developing a, a crazy good layup package around the rim if he doesn't really have it at this stage just yet, especially already given his size. Um, he might just be that that finesse finisher. He might be able to get away with it because his touch is so good, and he is he is long as hell, and you know he'll get he gets his floater off, you know at a very high release right now. So that just might be who he is. I think I think a team needs to get a hold of him and just set him on that path we're kind of talking about as a big guard or a taller guard that is, and just like tell him he can take his shots in you know these areas, and that's it. Try and try and clean out the. Uh, the messy stuff in his game and, and hope for the best because he does seem like he ha- has a good head on his shoulders. He's at Stanford for crying out loud. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd like to see him just clean things up and, and take it slow. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point where we're, if all he's going to be is just like this, this Andrew Wiggins type wing, who's to, we know can take and make a lot of different shots, but at the end of the day is going to settle for the wrong ones. Um, and, and his percentages pretty much aren't going to check out across the board. He's that inefficient of a score, despite the, the immense talent that we know that he has. 
what are we talking about? Like where that that's at this point, that's not, that's not a lottery level prospect, at least not to me. Somebody at his size is just going to camp outside the three point line exclusively, maybe make a a, a nice pass or two um, along the way. But what he gives up defensively because of his lack of size, trying to guard up in position, what he possibly can't do on offense up a position. Like if he's this six, eight guy who's pigeonholed into a guard spot and all we can really count on him to do is shoot. What are we talking about, right? So he he's, to me, he's the lottery prospect that has the most to prove over these coming weeks, along with another guy who's outside of our lotteries right now, Brandon Boston Jr., Kentucky. Those two are, are the guys who have the most to prove over the second half of the season. Um, there, there are enough games left, including potential tournament runs, where they can get themselves back into – better conversations relative to where their draft stock is now. But yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. hundred percent. You and I both agree on that. It's Um, kind of, it's kind of crazy. I feel like because he does show an aptitude to affect the game in a number of ways, maybe just not doing it, you know, in the most efficient ways. He's, I feel like he's the only guy we're talking about on these first three podcasts that really doesn't have a floor. Like even despite the fact that he can affect the game in all those ways. Uh, What do you feel about that? That's an interesting point because I wouldn't have agreed with you if we were only evaluating him from that like first set of games at the beginning of the season because he was knocking in deep three-point shots with enough regularity to the point where, okay, well, if some of those other things don't work out, he's at least making some of these tough jump shots at a decent enough clip to where you can at least put him in the league. He's going to do enough on defense because of his length. And you, you can stick him in, in, in easy catch-and-shoot looks, and he's going to be able to knock down those shots with relative ease. Now, there are times where he's not even necessarily looking for those opportunities off the ball to get him in position for easy catch-and-shoot looks. And he, he's trying to, to run around and, and get the ball for, like, these isolation sets, and he's just settling for, like, these bad jump shots because I don't think even he has enough confidence inside the arc. Um, with, with his two-point scoring, kind of like you alluded to, Cole. So, yeah, earlier I wouldn't have agreed with that statement, but now the more that we see of him, the more that we're seeing him establish his game as, yeah, he, he might not have a, a, a reasonable floor. E- enough, obviously, he's not going to, like, drop out of the first round or anything crazy no, like that, but we're talking about lottery. Yeah, he, he might not have a lottery floor-type case right now and that's something that he definitely needs to work on and i think he will i i, I think he's going to get himself in a better light um along the second half of the season I, I i hope i'm right about that um moving on to another wing prospect who you and i both have at 14 keon johnson um a, a guy that definitely took social media by storm before the season started somebody who was being mentioned as like a top five top seven guy potentially with some of those other guys that we like um obviously defensively he's a hound he, he's pretty much very good to excellent rated um according to synergy metrics a- every single thing you can mention um in in, in terms of defense uh, he he is an outstanding athlete he's definitely one of the better athletes in this class along with somebody like greg brown like we mentioned um his, his scoring package is a little light uh, i'll be the first to admit his package is a little light overall um but what I do see from him in flashes, but still on a, on a relative game-to-game basis, is when he gets opportunities for like pull-up jumpers inside the arc, 
he he can hit a tough mid-range shot. And, and when he's able to get a mismatch and, and kind of back down uh, a smaller guard in the post, he has enough proficiency on his post game to the point where he can make a pass out of a post up. He can turn and hit like a fall away jump shot kind of around like the free throw line. So it's not like he can't do anything. And obviously in, in transition, I think that's an area that he needs to be more aggressive in and pursue opportunities and more because he's that freak level of an athlete. Like he should be able to beat almost anyone down the court and certainly get easy, easy buckets that way. Um, but, but it's not like he doesn't have any sort of offensive game to where we couldn't stick him on an NBA floor next year and say, well, yeah, he's this all world potentially wing defender, but he brings so little to an offense that like we, we, we can't throw like a reasonable, like 15, 20 minutes a game at him. Like we have to keep him on a bench. I, I don't think that's the case. Now he doesn't have as much offensive game as somebody like an Isaac Okoro did last year. Um, but at the same time, I think he can absolutely get to that level. It's just not presenting itself yet. So what are some of the things that you like about Keon Johnston Cole and, and where do you see um, him needing to improve at the most offensively? Uh, I really like Keon Johnson because I think, I think he fits on every team in the league. Uh, he's like you mentioned, he's a great defender and that's going to translate um, immediately. That's probably where he's going to make his name in the league first and foremost, if I had to guess, but uh, not only that is that he works really well off the ball. So I think I, I kind of envision Keon Johnson working great on a team with a, a with a point forward or a bigger guard who facilitates uh, for the offense, and you get Keon on all of these mismatches. Like you said, he can operate on the post. We see he we see him be very good at cutting uh, off the ball. He's really a mismatch problem um, away from the ball. So I think that's where his his bread is going to be buttered long term. I think we'll always see the flashes of him, you know, on the ball, showing that that. He's got a little bit of something in his bag when he when he gets the chance. But I don't think he'll ever be a consistent uh, take you off the dribble and gonna just score at will type of guy. Um, just because he will be logging big minutes as a, a primary defender too. Uh, mm -hmm. In terms of what I want to see the rest of the season, I just want to see him shoot the three ball better. Uh, I don't think the form is all that bad. We see him knock down those mid range jumpers like you said. Um, so I just think it's a matter of confidence and, and getting getting it locked in from a mechanic standpoint. The other thing I'll say about him too is that while he's not, I, I agree, he's not like this otherworldly on ball creator by any means, but he doesn't hold on to the ball that long no. either. Like if he needs to make a pass, he'll make it. And it's generally a good pass. Like, right. like he, he, he's not a ball stopper. So I really like that about him. And his shot selection, I don't think is a problem either. Like we would probably like to see him be a little more aggressive, particularly with the long ball, as you mentioned. But Whereas we were just talking about Zaire Williams having some issues with, with shot selection and the types of shots he should be taking. I, I don't see those problems with Keon Johnson. I, I agree. He, he, he fits well within the flow of the offense. He does what's asked for him of him. And obviously defensively, we know that that's going to be his calling card. He is going to be an absolute pest at the next level. And there, there's no real necessary downside to taking him. If your expectation for him is that, He's going to be like a like a plus type role player in the NBA. Like I I don't really see like any semblance of star in him as maybe some wanted to talk themselves into preseason and like at the start of the year, especially when we've seen Tennessee struggle as mightily as, as they have offensively. He he's kind of part of that. He's part of that team. 
Um, so yeah, I, I don't really see that level of, of creator or star from him, but for as solid of a role player as you could probably get in this class, he certainly fits that bill. And, and that's why he's an attractive option to me in, in, in like a lottery conversation because, you know, role, role players with at least a little bit of ceiling, well, when you're getting to this point in the draft where you might not necessarily be able to star hunt as much anymore, that, that that's where he kind of fits in the conversation. Yeah, I just I just really see a bright future for this kid off ball. I think he's going to be a menace. You're not you're not going to enjoy chasing around chasing him around on defense. I think you will lock in that three point shot, and and just be that really nice role player for a team uh, with some starter potential. You know, I think he's just he, he fits and he's going to do a lot of good things on offense and defense. We we know that's going to be where he makes his money. Oh yeah, if he's playing if he's playing on the right team in the right locker room, that always has him juiced up. And he's just running around constantly, just just being a menace. Like that, that is that is the best case scenario for him. Now I've seen him even as good as this Tennessee team has been defensively. I wouldn't necessarily say that they have like these guys who just are emphatic and that they love to play defense all the time and they're constantly showing it. Other than like Eve Ponds, right? right. Um, Jaden Springer, someone who we will talk about on this podcast um, in the near future here. He's been a really good defender as a freshman, but Keon has necessarily been like on this team. That's like, Oh my God, like we're going to go out there. We're going to hold these guys to like 50 points a game. And they're enthusiastic about it. Like you would see from some of these like Virginia teams that, that we've seen Texas. in recently. Yeah. Or Texas or, or like Texas tech, right? You, you mm-hmm. don't see that same kind of energy from this Tennessee team. But if Keon's playing on playing for an NBA team that prides itself on defense, like, yeah, he he could he could become double the problem that we think he's already going to be. So yeah. I, I I agree completely. So yeah, no. go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Cole. No, I just think that between all those things we mentioned, that, that just gives him an incredibly safe floor, and that's why I hinted at you know in my discussion with Zaire, just not sure the floor is there, and that's what potentially has him sliding down further for me. I agree. I agree. Could be trouble. Uh, the, the second half of the season is really going to help answer some of those questions, I think. Um, so moving on to the last guy that we're going to talk about this week, number 15 on both of our boards, a guy who moved up as recently as this week on my board and your board, Jared Butler, the, the junior guard out of Baylor. Um, man, that, that game the other night against Kansas, that was about as, as good of a game as I think he could have possibly had. I, I tweeted out, on the account, anyone who isn't following at after draft deeper, please give us a follow on Twitter. I always love having conversation on there. Um, but one of the points I made was that this is one of those games where if Butler shows out, it's the national spotlight kind of game to where if anybody wasn't paying attention to him from like a casual audience or like these NBA front offices who haven't really had a, a big chance to watch some, some of these uh, Baylor games against like lesser opponents, but you put this Baylor team against Kansas, that's a national spotlight game. That, that's a draft stock mover type of matchup. Um, and, and Butler did pretty much everything he could have done to raise his stock. He was making plays off dribble. He was kind of being like this, this little shifty score along the baseline, showing off a few dribble moves that he have, has in his bag. Um, he was seven of nine on three-point shots. Uh, he, he was doing pretty much everything you could have asked him to from that lead guard spot. The, the, the main thing that Butler's focused on this year, and I'm sure you'll get into it a little bit, Cole, um, is NBA teams told him 
during the, the, the draft process last year to, to go back to school and become a better playmaker, improve your, your assist to turnover ratio, show that you can make passes out of multiple different sets, especially out of pick and roll offense. Um, and, and while he hasn't necessarily been the best scorer out of pick and roll sets, he's been excellent passing out of pick and roll situations, according to Synergy. Pretty much when, when you go and look at some of those Synergy metrics, every single type of breakdown that they do out of pick and roll passing, he's excellent in. So that's certainly been a bright spot to his game. Um, any questions that somebody might have had about his jump shot? He's in the 94th percentile in spot ups. He's rated very good um, in all jump shots he's taken off the dribble. So he's clearly putting a full scoring repertoire at the guard spot together. We knew about his defense. Baylor has the best um, perimeter defensive backcourt in the country. He's averaging 2.4 steals per game, which to me is incredible. He's only averaging 1.8 fouls per game, which means that not only is he doing his job creating turnovers and causing havoc on the defensive end, he's also being a more disciplined defender. He's not getting himself in foul trouble. He's keeping himself on the court to the, on the court for his team to the point where he can affect the game on both ends. There's just not much that I don't like about his game, Cole. And, and I said this to you off the air. I'll be curious to hear. Um, on the air, what what your your quote unquote official response is to my point, but I said the same thing about Butler that I said about Donovan Mitchell when Donovan Mitchell was coming out of Louisville. Now they're not completely the same player. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell has a level of bounce to him that Jared Butler isn't going to have. But just in terms of their basketball skills and what they can do on the court, I, I said if if everything breaks right for Donovan Mitchell, like he's pretty much flashed every flashed every skill that he can in the in the book from the guard spot in Louisville, like how, how doesn't he become like a really, really, really good NBA player? I just don't see him failing. And I find myself saying the same thing about Jared Butler. Like he's pretty much flashed every skill that we want from him at, at, at this point. Like to me, the only really thing he has to work on is like, like a nice little one, two dribble mid range shot out of like a pick and roll set, like definitely being more comfortable taking and making those shots but he can catch and shoot. He can obviously create a look for himself. He's improved his handle, getting around guys, doing some shifty things in the lane, getting free to get, get an easy uh, look at the basket. Like Cole, what doesn't he do for you or, or maybe expound upon and, and more of what he does in your eyes? Where is he at in your mind? How much further could he possibly climb? And what do you think about my point about him being like as complete of a guard prospect as like a Donovan Mitchell? Yeah, I'm not sure I'll be able to answer those three questions in complete order here, but um, I'll <laughs> give it my best shot. So we'll just, just with... give me, just give me your whole Jared Butler story. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll give you. We'll start with Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, obviously, it's important to just reemphasize that we don't think he has the bounce or the step that Donovan mm -hmm. Mitchell has. He's not Spida, okay? He's not that guy. But what we are saying is that. Oh, and I think the big similarity here is the teams they played on. Neither of them are loaded, and the Donovan Mitchell Louisville team and, and uh, Jared Butler Baylor team here, neither of them are really loaded with like uber NBA prospects, but they're really solid teams who play like, you know, are filled out lineups and have good depth, and they play a very good branded team basketball. So it's tough for certain guys to show out all their skills on any given night. And this is sort of the Kentucky syndrome, too. Um, so I think. If you hadn't seen Butler until the Kansas game the other night, then you hadn't been able to see him show all those skills that he does have um, and that he does have in spades, in my opinion, in your opinion as well, I think. So 
I think if Butler is is very similar to Mitchell in the sense that the more you watch him, the more time you dedicate to him, you see all these different things that he is capable of doing at a really high level. Get him away from a Baylor system and into a more creative, you know, environment, which is pretty much the entire NBA. And yeah, you might see this kid flourish a lot and a lot more than we're expecting. And since he does do things already really well at a high level, um, and that has shown the ability to make improvements at, at a, a good clip, like he did this past season in playmaking. Uh, and you factor in that he's a good defender and has good body for his size. I, I really don't see why this kid isn't pushing uh, for a higher draft spot in people's first round right now. Uh, like, I think you feel the same way. So I think what I would like to see him do a little bit more going forward the rest of the season, just keep this level of play up, continue to make sound decisions, which I think he will. Um, I think what I mentioned off air last night or whenever we were watching or talking about him most recently was I just want to see him get even more like shifty when he comes off the screen. So uh, you mentioned that he's not, you know, scoring a ton in the pick and roll right now, but he's showing that he can dish. So I think maybe his emphasis on the offseason was so much so that he got away from, you know, figuring out how to score a little bit off the pick and roll. Um, but I think that will come. I, I think guys do emphasize certain things and, you know, kind of put certain things, other things other skills to the side, uh, knowing that they can improve in time, but they have to improve this one thing first to open up that. Uh, him becoming a playmaker off the pick and roll is going to open up his offense eventually. I think he makes the right reads that it will come. And, uh, you know, he's a junior, but he's 20 years old. So he's he's a young junior. He's not going to be 21 until August when he'll be, in a you know, he'll be drafted. He'll have an NBA summer under his belt. So I think that's really attractive too. Uh, I'm, and I think you and I are, are pretty high on Jared Butler. We might be the high men out there, but I'm, I'm confident in his ability to really exceed where he is on a lot of people on his boards right now. What what do you kind of see his his end game being in the NBA? Do you think his end game is as like a like a starter at the point guard spot? Do you think it's like a microwave guy off the bench? Um, I, I think he's pretty similarly sized as Donovan Mitchell, so I'm not quite sure how much I, I love him being this like two guard, this like small two guard, because he doesn't have that same athleticism as like a Donovan Mitchell. Like, I think to me, if he's going to be a starter, it has to be at the point guard spot. And that's why everyone wanted to harp on him improving his playmaking and being able to, to, to set up his teammates up better. Um, and, and I think that is still a reasonable end game for him. I just want to get more of your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I think he would be best suited as a as a point guard. I think he does have starting potential and back up a second there. So I think in that, you know, I think that comes about as him being a point guard and not this combo of two that the Utah Jazz have kind of put Donovan into, even though I really think I'm sure other people out there think as well that he should be the one on that team. Um, but yeah, I think Butler needs to get next to a bigger athletic two and just, you know, definitely be the, the smallest guy by a good clip on his starting unit if he is if he does click as a starter in the NBA you know like there are other backcourts out there right now that have two smaller starters and I'm intrigued to see if that works long term uh, like Cleveland comes to mind and, and Portland obviously has been trying it for a little bit um, Golden State like Steph was 6'4 and, and Clay was 6'7 six, 6'8 six, so like there is these guys all are still so I don't know I, I'm not sure if the double small backcourt works just yet I need, I think it would be better suited to have him next to a bigger guard for sure. Definitely. And and I think the, the last point that I'll make about Butler um, is that he's been a part of a Baylor program now for the last two to three years. That's been blowing everyone's doors off and has been racking up wins like crazy. 
Um, now, obviously, Coach Scott Drew, um, he, he's a great guy, fantastic coach. He's certainly done what he's needed to over a long period of time to really rebuild that program and get it to where it is today. Um, but at the same time, that success can't come from not having the right players in place as well to be able to go out there and make those winning plays and, and, and hit those winning shots. And Butler has been the best player on this Baylor Bears squad now for, for what's going to end up being the last three years. And, and I think when you take into account having someone who's coming in experienced from the college game, but also a winner from the college game, I think that that has to speak and, and, and say something as well. I mean, we just saw it with, with Danny Ainge where a few people were scratching their head about why he took one of your favorites, Cole, Peyton Pritchard. But one of the things that um, Danny Ainge loved the most about Pritchard was that he won everywhere he was. He was a winner going back to high school. Um, he certainly took that Oregon team to, to um, taller heights than, than I think a lot of people might have thought, um, especially with them being in a weaker conference like the Pac-12. I mean, they took the Pac-12 and ran away with it, and then they certainly had um, success in the tournament with, with Pritchard at the helm. So what, what are kind of your thoughts about that? In general, Cole, like we might see some of these prospects who could potentially be a little more enticing than, than, than somebody like a Butler, for example. But when you throw in the winning pedigree, I think that can't be forgotten and that should help separate him and put him in the, this top half of the first round discussion like you and I both think he belongs in. The winning pedigree definitely matters. And that shows that these guys have, you know, the ability to impact their team and carry them and, and be that, you know, for general, especially from the point guard position. And that's like you mentioned Pritchard, and that's exactly one of the biggest reasons why I really liked him and, and thought he would succeed in the NBA. You take him off Oregon and Oregon is completely lost the entire time, you know, over the three or four years he was there. So uh, yeah, I think in terms of that, that gives Butler a really good shot to succeed at, at worst, this guy is going to be, you know, one of the best spot backup point guard starters that you and I like to toss out the names of every now and then, like Monte Morris and Tyus Jones. So I think that's his floor, and I think he's he's better than those guys already. So um, I think we need, we need to see Butler outside of the Baylor system, even though it's really helped him get to the point where he is today. I just love him, man. I, I slept on him so hard last year, but, but yeah. especially watching e even some of the things he's doing now this year. I mean – Obviously, all three years, he's been a really competitive guy. He comes out there. He's fully composed. He's, he's not making a lot of dumb mistakes. Um, he, he keeps his wits about him, his emotions about him. He, he's, a, he's a stoic guy. He's not always showing, like, anger he, or, or, or necessarily happiness and going the other direction. But he just kind of goes out there, um, br brings the lunch pail with him, just goes to work hard and, and gets the job done. And I love guys like that. I, I love born leaders. And – Butler, I don't know. He just has so many intangibles and so many things about his game that I love. Yeah, I just, like, like I said, I don't see how he fails. And I, I think that he can only keep getting better. There's certain wrinkles that you and I just talked about that we, we think he can certainly improve and has paths to improve. Like, I don't see any, I don't see any broken parts of his game. Um, and, and I certainly haven't seen anything that I don't think that he can improve upon and, and make better. So it's going to be really interesting to see how much more he improves his draft stock in the public eye, but I'm glad that you and I are already high on him to begin with. And yeah, I think the sky's the, the, the limit for where he can end up being drafted. Um, even among some of the other standout freshman guys, young guys in this class who have a lot of promise, but might not, might not necessarily have the same floor or the same winning pedigree that like a Jared Butler does. So that's going to be an interesting point of conversation 
from from moving on from here forward. So um, that pretty much wraps it up this week. Um, thank you all again for for listening to the podcast, showing Draft Deeper the support that you do. Again, as I mentioned, please follow us on Twitter at Draft Deeper, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube, subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Never be afraid to reach out to either Cole and I on, on social media, especially on Twitter. Uh, we're always watching the account. We always love uh, having good back and forth and, and good draft debates with, with anybody out there. So please keep in touch and absolutely stay tuned through this big board series as we move on to 16 through 20 last week before we definitely part ways. Cole, any any last thoughts on anything we talked about this week? Uh, no, I'm just excited to see over the course of the season how um, Sharif Cooper and Jared Butler get pinned against one another. Obviously, Cooper being the exciting young freshman, Butler is the junior, um, but has a very well-rounded game, whereas Sharif is maybe not as well-rounded just yet. So I think that's going to be a fun uh, dichotomy the rest of the way. We we are going to have quite the conversation on Sharif Cooper next week. You and I have already um, shared some divisive thoughts <laughs> over over private conversation. Um, so I, I, can't, I can't wait for that one. But thank you again, everybody. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.